Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me at noon next Wednesday when my guest will be Charles Eichner from the Elements of Writing. We will be discussing how neuroscience teaches about the best writing strategies. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Benjamin Berlin from the Lucky Hedgehog Company. We will be discussing patient advocacy. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301 and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. My pleasure. Why don't we begin by you telling us about yourself and your company? I am a litigator by trade for the past 20 years. I graduated from law school and got thrown into the fires of court and was an advocate for people in the legal system for about 20 years on a regular, consistent basis and then found that people really needed help advocating in various spheres of the healthcare system. And so I found myself doing that quite a bit. I liked doing that. I was good at doing that. I left law completely, do not practice law at all, but use the advocacy skills from law to help advocate for patients in the very fractured healthcare system that is full of silos that do not talk to each other. I have to ask, where does the name of your company come from? How did you come up with Lucky Hedgehog? Well, the hedgehog concept is about those silos. The hospital, the doctor, the insurance company, the pharmacy, the medical equipment, the home health care agency, none of these people are talking to each other. You may have multiple doctors. They're not talking to each other and not coordinating your care. Each one of these is a pointy silo that can really prick you and hurt you. And somebody who can come and bring them together and look at the whole picture on your behalf and bring you into the warm underbelly of connectedness that is the idea of being a lucky hedgehog. So you chose the hedgehog over the porcupine. <laughs> yes. It also happens to have a family reference because there's a famous essay called The Hedgehog and the Fox by my family named namesake Isaiah Berlin. So I went with the hedgehog. I got you. Okay. Now, let's get started. Our topic, again, is patient advocacy, so I always like to begin with definitions. 
define what you mean by patient, and I realize in your case you also have to define what you mean by client. Yes. Anybody can be a client or patient. Everybody, practically everybody I meet, has had some horror story with the healthcare system at some point. And things are getting worse. Under the previous administration and the way healthcare is headed in our country, we don't know what's going to be under the new administration yet. There are so many things that can really tip anyone's life into a whirlwind, downward spiral almost overnight. Wind up in the hospital for a small thing. Then all of a sudden you're in rehab. Then you're going to a nursing home or an assisted living facility, and the bills are outrageous, and you're bankrupt. It really spirals really quickly. So patients are people who are in those situations that they're needing treatment and they need help figuring it out. And clients can be the patients. We like to talk about patients because I am not a clinical person, so I refer to them as clients, even though they're patients that I'm advocating for. And also could be, while the clients are always going to be the patients, there might be other family members who say, I need help taking care of my mom or dad's issues. So, I don't have the time to take care of this. I want to hire you to take care of this for me. So they may be payors or guarantors. The patients or clients are always the people receiving the care. Understood. Now, what is a patient advocate? So there are many definitions of patient advocates, and the term is used all over the place. And in your insurance company, your hospital, or institution, even your doctor's office these days may say, oh, we have patient advocates. You don't need to have an outside patient advocate. I am a private patient advocate, and there is a national alliance of private patient advocates. And what I do is, as a lawyer would do, if you had a legal matter that you needed to work out or negotiate or litigate, I work in the healthcare system helping to say, wait a second, this patient doesn't need to go to rehab and a nursing home and wind up being bankrupt so that they can perhaps do some Medicaid planning or something like that. This patient can be at home and I can establish the services or get in place the services that the patient would need to age in home if that's their choice, or they may need to relocate, but they may need to relocate to somewhere in the community. I would be advocating for what they want within those systems where those systems are more and more not actually listening to what the patients want, but going by, hey, this is what we do in the standard case, so we're just going to follow standard operating procedure and not give the patient a real voice. 
So the difference is you're not a boilerplate. The patient well, I'm not a boilerplate, and I'm also – I'm not a boilerplate. I'm also not paid by a hospital. I'm not paid by a, a pharmaceutical company. I'm not paid by an insurance company. My allegiance is to the patient, and, again, my role is to – really look into their case and give them the attention that the other folks cannot give them because they are overwhelmed with the volume of the other patients that a doctor has to see in any given day, in any given week, and cannot remember specifically what you spoke to them about three weeks ago. And you mentioned that you were concerned about XYZ problem, and you think they're remembering and their head is on all their other patients or clients. My role is there to say, hey, doc, r- remember this. Or, you know, this was raised. Let's address it again. It may have fallen off the radar. So you mentioned your role. Let me ask you then a follow-up question. What are the responsibilities of a patient advocate? So, my responsibilities would be to do an assessment with the patient or client and see what are the issues or obstacles that they're facing within the healthcare system and what do they need help with and what is it that they want, and then to go ahead and try to advocate for those kinds of things. So, for instance, I had a fellow who was 90 years old who had an issue of fainting. When he would stand up, he was living with his wife who was wheelchair-bound in an assisted living facility. The assisted living facility had a rule that if somebody fainted, they had to call 911, who had a rule that if they get a 911 call, they have to take the person to the ER, which had a rule that if there's nobody with a 90-year-old man who can't stand up, they can't discharge him. So now he's separated from his wife. He is not really in the position to be speaking up for himself significantly and going running to the nurse's station without fainting uh, to ask questions or to try to get his points across. And his wife is upset. The hospital has a patient they don't really need to keep, but they can't really find a good place to discharge him. And the assisted living facility has a problem because they're billing for somebody who's not there, and they get upset when they get billed for services that they're not actually really receiving. So nobody was winning in this situation. And the fellow was getting more and more frustrated and belligerent. And so they started medicating to deal with the belligerency. Aside from being able to convince the medical director of the assisted living facility that he could manage this fellow's case from the assisted living facility because he had privileges at the hospital, which nobody else really looked at, again, from the whole perspective. They were each looking at their own little silo, I was also able to go to a 99-cent store and buy a PVC ball, and I was having a game of catch with the fellow, 
and his whole disposition changed because somebody was interacting with him. So the responsibilities of a patient advocate can be a broad range of things. Made the fellow feel valued and happy, got him to where he wanted to be, got his wife where she wanted to be back with her husband, got the hospital to be able to have the patient not be taking up a bed, the assisted living was able to to bill regularly, but nobody would have done that or seen that if they weren't looking at it from the whole picture. So what's the difference between what you do, between a patient advocate and someone who has a health care proxy? Because I have given a health care proxy to a friend who's also an attorney, and she has the power of attorney, and as she likes to kid around with me and say, you know, when can I pull the prod? So <laughs> what's the difference between the patient advocate and the person who holds a health care proxy? That's an excellent question, Bruce, and I think you actually just got to a significant part of the answer. She has the authority, the healthcare proxy has the authority to make decisions in the event that you can't. And the doctors, the caregivers are all responsible for following legally the decisions that she makes when you can't. I don't make decisions for anybody I listen to what their decisions are, whether it's the patient, if they're able to make decisions for themselves, or the healthcare proxy, if they're making decisions on behalf of the patient, but they're in their office, their legal office, practicing law, and I might be the person on the ground who's conveying to the hospital staff, call the lawyer to find out what the decision is, because this patient has a healthcare proxy, and has left instructions for what decisions they want implemented. They don't want certain things done. They want to not go to a nursing home. They want to go to a, a community or back to home to ease in place. And so my role is advocating to get the logistics done so that the decisions can be implemented by the people who are able to implement them. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a clinical person, but I'm an advocate for implementation of the wishes of the patient. The wishes of the patient are either expressed by the patient or if they are unable by the healthcare proxy. But do you have do you have any type of legal standing? For example, why can't the hospital just kick you out and say you're not a relative, you don't have a proxy, we're not dealing with you? So if the patient signs a designation of, repre- of, of representation, they designate me as the person that they want to be with them. That doesn't mean that I have the authority to make decisions. They have a right to have a person with them in the hospital. That is pretty much now law in a lot of places, but certainly in New York. So the they can designate me to have them with them. And then the hospital has to. But even without that, hospitals are really, really happy to have somebody take these issues off their plate. 
because it's a win for them. They would otherwise have to figure out what to do with that 90-year-old fellow. And they didn't have the time to pay attention to, to the details of that complicated situation. I'm there. I'm taking it off their plate. They're only too happy to have me take it off their plate. Thank you. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Benjamin Berlin from the Lucky Hedgehog Company. We are discussing patient advocacy. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301 and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Ben, how does someone become a patient advocate? Is there a license? Is there an accreditation process? How do they become there are a number uh, of paths. an advocate? Again, an excellent question, Bruce. There are a number of paths to becoming a patient advocate. There are many clinical people, nurses, who sometimes become case managers or geriatric care managers. There are some certification programs. Uh, there are There is in the works a uh, board that is setting up a specific credential that will be verified and truly a qualification. None of the other qualifications are light. There is no license that is needed or required. There is no specific path to becoming a patient advocate. I chose to become a patient advocate after actually essentially doing it on behalf of legal clients that I had and recognizing there is a need for this, a growing need for this, and I'm good at it. And I have the skills to advocate because I understand what it is to have a bunch of silos. A legal court case that I would have has a number of other parties, has a lawyers for each of them, has a judge, a clerk. All of those are silos. They're all concerned about what's in front of them, not what's dealing with the whole case. And I am trained to spot issues and to look at it from a more global perspective. And then, within that global perspective, advocate for what my client's position is. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for everybody else, but I am connected to my client and working to advocate for my client. Now, I am not practicing law in any way, shape, or form, and I tell all my clients if they need legal advice or if they need that health care proxy done or other uh, living wills or other documents done, they should seek out legal counsel. If they need help finding legal counsel, I can perhaps help find that person to bring on board. But I am advocating for them within the system of, as we talked about before, insurance companies, billing companies, pharmaceutical companies, which may have outrageous prices that they can't afford, their insurance policies, the doctors themselves, coordinating care between several specialists, especially for elderly who have several specialists that they typically see that do not necessarily coordinate with each other. So they usually do not 
communicate with each other. They do what they do, and that's all they look at. So I became a patient advocate because I have the skill set to do it, and that is the skill set that I offer my my particular clients, and that skill set has been effective in a number of ways, a, a number of cases, to bring people into that warm, warm soft underbelly of the hedgehog. Excuse me. How should someone go about choosing a patient advocate? So that is another excellent question, Bruce. And people should go about choosing a patient advocate as they probably would go about choosing any other personal professional, an accountant, a lawyer, a financial planner, an advisor, they would probably talk to a number of people, they would interview, they would try to get a feel for what are the specific qualities of the patient advocate they're looking at, they would try to get a a feel for what are their particular needs, they would ask for references, they would ask for examples of what the person has done before. Uh, the members of the Alliance of Professional Health Advocates are required to be uh, insured uh, for professional liability, and you don't get insurance professional, for professional liability unless they analyze your business and see, hey, this is a risk that can be insured. So you should look for somebody probably who is insured. Looking at the uh, APHA website, there is a directory, but that is only one of many directories. There are other groups that people can become a, a part of if they're patient advocates. And again, it's your per- match, your fit, your interviewing, your understanding, your re- your checking out their referrals and vetting them, and also looking at do you need a clinical person? Is your issue a clinical type issue? Or do you need more of a billing kind of person or paperwork kind of person who's going to deal with the insurance companies? Or do you need somebody who's going to be able to persuade the hospital and the assisted living that they can manage this patient not in the hospital bed but at the assisted living bed? So there are different just as all all different kind of lawyers, even within any given specialty of lawyers, elder care or personal injury or whatever kind of law people do, each lawyer is an individual unique professional. Accountants, they're all sorts of people who are bring their unique blend of talents. You probably want to interview a couple of people and choose the person that's most appropriate for what your particular needs are and comfort level. You mentioned the APAH website. What is that? Uh, I'm sorry, the AP, the Alliance of Professional Health Advocates. So it's APHA, oh, right? H-A. And the the uh, website that you would look up there is, I believe, Advoconnections. But again, if you do a Google search for uh, Professional Health Advocates Alliance, it will probably come up in the top couple of offerings and searches. Search results, 
and you can go in and describe kind of what you're looking for, and they will give you a list of people that work in those kinds of areas and are part of the alliance and are in your area or can be contacted with contact information. And then you can look at five or six companies and call them up. What recourse patients, clients, families have if an advocate does not follow the the patient, the client's uh, directives? Well, that's another excellent question, Bruce. And I think that Obviously, the first recourse would be to sue. And and as I mentioned, members of APHA are covered by insurance, professional liability. So if there is an error or omission made, then there is that recourse to sue. There is a an agreement or there should be an agreement in writing, and I – insist on that with all of my clients, is what I will do and what I will not do. And I will not give legal advice, like we described, but there are things that I commit that I will do. And if I don't do those things, then I should be held accountable. And one way of holding me accountable is a lawsuit. Another way of holding me accountable uh, would be to, to have a complaint with any of the organizations that I'm a member of, I like to think I would be interested in making people feel heard and satisfied and uh, and that they would not want to have uh, any liability issues and I want to maintain a good reputation. But I think that really most advocates are, are like that and they will look into if this is not working out, if this is not the right relationship, then we will uh, try to figure out how to how to transfer to a person that is the right relationship. And, of course, at any time, an advocate, a patient or the person who's paying the bills can come along and say, we're not paying the bills anymore or uh, we're not designating you as our representative to come into any of these facilities or releasing information uh, to you. We don't want you to continue uh, doing any work on our behalf because, we don't think you're doing what we want. Years ago, I worked at a, a nursing home. And mm-hmm. I was the fundraiser. I was director of development. So I was responsible for fundraising and marketing and PR and community relations and media relations. And yet somehow I got appointed to the home's ethics committee. Mm. And the ethics committee would deal with problems that would arrive when a patient wanted, or a resident, to use the proper terminology, wanted something that we did not feel comfortable doing, or when there was a dispute between the resident and their family members. And every, Mm -hmm. I don't remember, I think we met every two weeks, there was always the feeding tube. And I'm not trying to make light of it, it's a serious issue, but you have a resident who, when they were admitted, even though they had Alzheimer's, they were still competent to sign, and they said quite clearly they did not want a feeding tube. If they, you know, if there's nothing to extend, to, uh, uh, no measures to 
unnaturally extend their life, no feeding tube. Now their Alzheimer's had progressed. They were end stage. I didn't know what was going on. And the family wanted a feeding tube put in, and yet there was the order signed by the resident that said no feeding tube. And we would always have a back and forth, and at the end we would always decide in favor of the resident. What do you do when the patient says one thing, becomes incompetent, and then the family demands the exact opposite? Again, these are excellent questions. I, first and foremost, make it clear, even if a family member is paying on behalf of services being delivered to the patient, resident, client, that I am committed and aligned with the patient, resident, client, and their wishes and wants and rights. Now, it may be in some of those situations that you're talking about, the family members may want something that is under the, that they have the authority to choose, decide about because the healthcare proxy terms or the power of attorney has kicked in, and now they are the decision makers. So, again, I am following the decisions and wishes of the legal appropriate decision makers. And the laws in New York certainly uh, have changed repeatedly in recent years as this becomes a more and more significant issue and there it is certainly a good idea for everybody to have not just a healthcare proxy but a living will which describes what choices they would want made do they want heroic measures made do they want a dnr or a dni do not resuscitate or do not intubate and have those wishes made in writing and communicated to the healthcare proxy and make sure that their healthcare proxy is willing to abide by that in the moment when decisions are needing to be made, like when the Alzheimer's has progressed to the point where the ability to make the decision and the authority to make the decision has transferred from the actual patient to their healthcare proxy. And it's important that people establish that early on before they get into these dicey situations because all too often it's not done and then there is quite a bit of confusion about what to do. My role in the cases that you mentioned likely would be to bring some light to each side. And I am actually a trained, certified mediator in New York, and I can use the mediation skills to help work with the ethics board, the family, and even perhaps the patient 
to see what they might express as what it is they're actually looking for and what's behind their motivations and decisions, and perhaps there's more common ground. So that is another added value skill that I can bring to those situations. And another reason facilities, nursing homes, are only too happy to have me on board. I want to just add something to what I said earlier. I do make it clear that I represent the patient because I always insist on having a written agreement, and there's a written agreement with the patient, and the if there's somebody else who's going to be the payor, they sign a separate agreement that they are the guarantor. And in the role of guarantor, they accept that they are paying, but I am aligned with the patient. Ben, you have given us a wealth of important information. I thank you. And before I let you go, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch? The best way probably is by telephone. My number is 212-600-0234. Again, that's 212-600-0234. Or via email, ben at luckyhedgehog.com. I do have a website, www.luckyhedgehog.com, and those would be three good ways. Lucky Hedgehog, as a name, also is pretty memorable, so people can search for it, and it will probably come up pretty high. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Bruce. You're most welcome. This is Bruce Hurwitz. Thank you for listening, and have a safe and prosperous week.